Welcome to Yahoo Finance Presents. I'm Jen Rogers. My guest is Washington, D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser. Uh, Mayor Bowser, this week, mayors and governors around the country have been rolling back reopening plans. Do you think that Washington, D.C. will have to shut down again? Well, I certainly hope not. Uh, and we have we set up our reopenings and we have been very conservative with our plan. Uh, we were slower uh, than many jurisdictions to go to phase one to get out of the stay at home order. Uh, and we entered phase two a few weeks ago where we turned on more activity. Um, but we never uh, and phase two is where we are now. And we have never opened bars, which we uh, were advised would could be hugely problematic. And we've been pretty slow. Um, with all of our indoor reopenings and have been very conservative. And we've been able to blunt the curve, um, but we still know that the virus is circulating in our community. And of course, we also have the fall coming. And even if you have been able to blunt the curve, I think for most parents, everyone is thinking about what's going to happen with school. So we've had Education Secretary Betsy DeVos out saying that the rule should be kids go back to school this fall, even threatening funding for schools that don't open. What is your plan right now for, for Washington, D.C.? Well, first of all, our plan um, does not uh, reflect anything that Betsy DeVos has been kind of spewing. We are going to do what's right for kids and what's right for health and safety in the district. We believe we start off with the premise that kids are better off in school. Um, and that in-person learning is better than distance learning. Um, so now uh, what we're figuring out is how many kids and how often we can have in-person um, and do so safely and according to CDC guidelines. And that's what we're working on now. Um, as with so much during this pandemic, even returning to school uh, has been cutting across racial lines. There's a new Axios-Ipsos poll that was out this week that found 89% of Black parents see returning to school as a large or moderate risk. That compared with about 80% of Hispanic parents, 64% of white parents. Uh, how does that go into your thinking as you look at the fall for, for your community, given those concerns that are heightened as, 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 as we've seen the, the disparities uh, during this pandemic? Well, it's concerning and it's caused us, um, I don't know if we've seen our numbers as stark as that, but we do um, see more anxiety among um, our African-American parents about uh, reopening. And we think it could be a lot of things to parents or families having been personally impacted to concerns about kids having to use public transportation. Um, any number of things we think um, have led uh, to these concerns. So we're trying to understand what people are afraid of to see if there are other ways that we can address it. What, we, what would be a just a terrible outcome from this COVID virus is that children uh, who were already, um, who were already in need of more services, um, not getting it. 
And that that's a big concern because the, the learning loss um, could be so substantial that it would be almost impossible for those kids to catch up. Uh, so I actually asked our folks, we're going to start um, a summer bridge program that's going to start in early August, August 10th. We think we'll serve about 3,000 kids in grades three, six, and nine across the district. Uh, our education folks believe that those transition grades, some of those kids are going into high school, going into a new school, um, going into different learning environments, that this could be very critical time uh, to catch up. It's also gonna uh, allow us to make sure that all of our protocols are you know, hitting in all the right ways. So of course the pandemic has been going on at the same time that we have the, the racial justice, a reckoning that's been going on that you have been front and center with. And one of the issues there has been around uh, police forces and, and cutting uh, money going to police forces. It's all coming in the wake of George Floyd's murder. Activists have really been focused on that. I know uh, you have talked about how the DC police force has really been transforming itself for the last 18 years since a DOJ decree. But during yep. this whole budget process that you're going through, um, you've actually been looking for an increase in funding. So how do you square that with the call for changes that we're hearing everywhere? Why, why do you want that? Well, it's tough. Um, and all of this kind of um, our budget process and my budget just converge with, as you say, the racial justice reckoning. I like um, the way you um, put that because that's exactly what it is. It, but it is not as, as much as we would like to make it a black and a cut and dried issue, a black and white issue. It's really more complicated than that. And it's more nuanced than that. And as a mayor, um, my job among many is to ensure public safety in our community. And the equation is more than police. It's police and um, social service interventions. It's police and violence interruption services. It's police and job training. Um, so we need all of those pieces to work uh, in a city uh, to keep it safe. And so that's what I continue to say. But it's important also, and it's unfortunate and in a budget situation where I know what we need. My council is reacting um, to the entire uh, environment after I've submitted the budget to make it um, such a cut and dried issue. But the, the truth is you won't solve this in a two week budget process. It's gonna take really thoughtful changes uh, to reimagine how we police without making communities less safe. Do you think that we're on that that road at all because listening to you it just reinforces like how much nuance there is and how much Absolutely. conversation there has to be around it but it's a, it's a hashtag defund the police and so people think that means just cutting budgets like is that how do we we deal with um, you know what activists are asking for against some some of the realities that you're talking about well, I think, and um, we we have a roadmap in the city, and it takes it, it has taken 18 years in D.C. So I think, first of all, we have to be realistic with people. You don't change institutions that are hundreds years old overnight, um, and you can take money from them, um, but you also don't change the expectations of citizens. <laughs> 
I mean, I haven't heard anybody tell the citizens to stop calling 911. Um, so we we have to change not just as the government, we have to change as a community. Um, what, how, how, who do you expect to respond um, when you have a need for government service? And I think that's a challenge that we all um, can take. And I'm certainly looking at that in, in our government, but it doesn't change overnight. So let's talk about the Black Lives Matter mural that you orchestrated. It really struck a chord across the country, people seeing it as the right sign in the right place at the right time. What do you think now about the fact that it's been replicated around the world? I mean, just look at New York City, which is encouraging, but then there's also all these stories of it becoming a flashpoint, you know, smaller towns fighting over whether to even allow them at all. Well, I think um, for us uh, in the city, it was a response to a White House that was encroaching on our city, on our autonomy, uh, federal forces on DC streets, um, peaceful protesters attacked by their government. Uh, and we had the opportunity to, to, to fight back, not just for us in Washington, um, but to this encroachment on our values. And this mural um, was perfect uh, in its beauty and its symbolism um, and, and our ability to, to get it done overnight uh, in response to what we saw in American streets. And it was so the size of it. Is, I know it's huge. It was huge. It's huge. <laughs> Obviously, uh, caught the president's attention as well. Um, not exactly a fan uh, of the mural. He has tweeted about you that you're incompetent. That you're always looking for a handout. How do you deal with the the, the obvious racism uh, from the president and also the sexism towards you? Well, we've seen um, the way he behaves and acts um, and that he's challenged by women uh, who speak up and, and stand up to him. I, I don't feel personally offended uh, by anything that he says. I'm more concerned about what he does um, and what he's doing to our country in, in this pandemic response. Uh, how he shortchanged Washington, D.C. and COVID funding uh, and his his seeming ignorance of uh, what the District of Columbia is uh, and that we pay our own way. Um, we are actually a, a donor jurisdiction. Uh, we give more to the federal government uh, than we get back. And that we are always, I am always going to make sure that we're made whole. And so that is why um, the, the money that we were shorted in the CARES Act, uh, we're urging the Senate to act on the House Heroes Act that makes the district whole. So if these were normal times and we could all travel, like I could see families going to D.C. and wanting to go see the mural, it being almost yeah. like a tourist destination, a new place yeah. to go. Um, because now when you go to DC, you go to the mall and you're going yeah. to the, going to the monuments. Those monuments have also become discussions as well as, as we are uh, rethinking much of our history. There have been calls to reimagine the Jefferson Memorial, even from his family. Do you think that that's something that needs to, to happen? Could you see, you know, us making changes to, uh, memorials there? 
Um, I think that there is going to be a huge discussion of monuments and memorials in our country. I think that all of the, the rethinking of the Confederate memorials in particular uh, is, is hugely important. Uh, I am created a task force in D.C. to look at all of those historical references in the district. Um, we had one... Um, Confederate memorial, and that's it. Um, but we have other controversial figures, including presidents of the United States, um, that are taking up a lot of attention. The one for sure that we will likely move on first is Woodrow Wilson uh, in a school um, that's named for Woodrow Wilson. But I think it's important to have a dispassioned discussion about this. Um, I think this, all the decisions that are made are kind of when, um, you know, the feeling is so red hot, um, we might not be best served by. So how do we deal with this thing? You're talking to a history buff. How do we deal with the history of our country, uh, not glorifying people who are traitors to our nation, not glorifying um, slaveholders? but recognizing that this is American history. So what is the best way uh, to deal with it? Uh, well, President Trump has said that, um, you know, to destroy a monument is to desecrate our common inheritance. And he's calling for a national garden of American heroes. And again, as a, just a tour, I've never lived in DC, but as a tourist, you know, you go there and you're going well, around. You could. You could. Should I move there? It is, good. it is the best city in the world. And soon we're going to be the 51st state. Well, that's, yeah, you <laughs> very well might be. And I want to talk about that. But before I do, this idea of this garden of American heroes, could you see that coming to, you know, when you come to the capital city? I don't know that we have a place for it. So talk about statehood. You know, if it if it happens, which look, a lot of things would have to line up, right, with House, Senate, President. But let's you're getting closer than ever before. If it happened, would you want to be governor or senator? Um, I I I have the best job in Washington right now, and I'm kind of already the governor. So not much will change when uh, we have a governor, except the the title. Um, but so it's, it's clearly not about me, but I would like my daughter to be able to be the senator. And right now we don't have any senators, as you know. Um, and that means that we're less American than people who live across the border from us in Maryland or Virginia, Pennsylvania, our fellow Americans in New York. Yet we are asked uh, the same things. We pay our taxes, we go to war, um, yet we're not represented. And, and um, we are not um, like any other residents of their nation's capital in the free world. Uh, who are all represented in their national legislatures. So this is just a, a mistake um, of our democracy that can be corrected. And the thing that we like to tell folks who are listening, because they always think, a lot of people think that um, they don't really realize that we're not represented in Congress. Um, and, but when they know that, they know it's unfair. Um, and they should also know that us becoming the 51st state won't take anything away from them. Uh, they're still going to have on uh, the monuments and memorials and the National Mall that will be in the nation's capital. It's just the balance of our current city 
will become the 51st state. So you'll still have a federal district that is controlled by the, the Congress and um, the president can deploy how they want it. They will still have their police forces and all of those things. We will still have free museums, all of those things. None of that changes, uh, but we'll have a more perfect union because everybody will be equally represented. I know you think you have the best job, but before we let you go, we have to ask you, I mean, you're front and center on the national scene right now. Uh, are you being vetted by the Biden team as a possible VP candidate? And is that something you would be interested in, even though you've got a great job? I think that the vice president Biden has just um, so many people that will make a great vice president. Uh, and we need a new president and a new vice president. And I'll do anything that I can uh, to help make sure that happens in November. But I don't think it's going to be me on the ticket. You haven't, you haven't talked to them. I'm not being vetted. Right. Well, maybe your daughter will be for <laughs> one day. Maybe she will be. Um, uh, Mayor Vera Bowser, thank, thank you, you so much uh, for all you're doing and for taking time to talk to us today. I appreciate it. Thank you.